Keith said, just preach another sermon. That was not going to happen. So I'm thankful we fixed that early. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are thankful for this day that you have granted to us. It's a day that we get to celebrate the gospel in community. It's a day that we get to remember who we were and who Jesus has been and what difference that has made for us. It's a day that we get to consider even this specific community, what it looks like to live out life together, uh, to worship together, to know one another deeply in light of the gospel. And so we pray that you might, by your spirit, illuminate these words in Acts 2 for us. Uh, We need not hear from man this morning. We need to hear from God. And so would you uh, speak through um, a broken vessel to be able to communicate these powerful words from you uh, to us this morning. We need your help for this. And so it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, In a big world like ours, there are lots of small communities, small groups that you can be a part of in this big, giant world with billions of people in it. Uh, Lots of groups of people, lots of affinities and causes that you can gather around, that you can rally around in life. You've got forums, you've got social activism groups to link up with. You've got political parties and nonprofits that do really good work towards some specific goal. You've got fitness clubs or groups of crazy people that wake up before the sun even rises to go running. I'll never be a part of those groups. I'll never understand them, but you've got them. We've got basketball leagues, we've got fantasy leagues, civic groups, clubs, organizations, associations of all kind towards something, something that interests us or something that we want to get after. Uh, Many of these groups, many of these organizations are good and we should be a part of them. We're probably a part of them, some of you. Uh, But what holds these kinds of groups together is simply just you and me. Uh, We're the ones who who do the thing. We're the ones who start it and run it. Uh, But here in the book of Acts, there's something different. It's not men and women who just like something, who want to be about something, striving to do something. But here in the book of Acts, there is a community forming uh, that is unlike any earthly community that you could ever conceive of, that you could ever dream of. It's a community worth considering because it's held in completely different regard. It's, it's unworldly. It's otherworldly. Because when this community in Acts would meet together, it was more than just meeting together or meeting around some simple cause. They were actually meeting with God. They were actually meeting because of God. So many other communities in the world, but none like this community right here. That's what Acts shows us. Whereas we hold these other groups together by our desires, by our right efforts, this community, gospel community, is held together by the grace, by the power, and the reality of God. This group, this community is unlike anything you've ever seen, and that's a community worth considering. That one in which God himself is at the helm, who gives life, who gives vibrance and beauty and meaning to everything in life. This community is what we know as the church. That's what we see here in Acts 2. And in our passage today, the one that Joe read for us, we see the church in its early days, in its infancy. We get sort of a sneak peek into what the early days of the thing that we are a part of has looked like. And as you read this passage in Acts, it's an attractive picture of the church. It's actually a very impressive picture of the church. 
Because we find out that the church over the course of a couple of days, we heard last week, has grown from 120 people. And through Peter's single sermon, has grown from 120 to 3,000 people. How do you manage that kind of growth? How do you manage that many people? I mean, after church today, you're going to try to probably get five or six people to go to lunch. And you can barely do that to, get, to agree on one place to go. There are 3,000 people here agreeing to one thing. Uh, getting around the same thing, getting on the same page about one goal, one thing. In this book, in this chapter, uh, Luke loves to summarize uh, big events, big things into smaller sections. And he is giving us in this uh, short passage a picture of sorts of the church, what, what the church is like. Uh, You can picture sort of a Christmas card that you might get from a family member or a friend, right? In the Christmas card, everyone's cleaned up, everyone's wearing their best, everyone's smiling, but no one saw that there's a a wet diaper sitting on mom's lap or food being thrown across the room just a minute ago or mom and dad having an argument right before they came to the portrait studio. Uh, This picture in Acts is not meant to show us sort of a utopian type of church, There wasn't any singing of kumbaya in this church. Everything wasn't always dandy, right? Because just a few more chapters in, you're going to see this perfect picturesque church begin to change and things come up and pop up. Uh, You will see deep disappointment and people being overlooked. Uh, You'll see uh, deception creep up and disagreement creep up. But what Luke wants to show us is what the church in Acts looked like back then. Sort of a snapshot picture, a summary, so that here today at Seven Mile Road, we might strive after that kind of community here. That's what Luke wants to show us. It's it's an imperfect church, yes, but this church in Acts is a magnetic community of God-worshipping people devoted to the Bible and devoted to each other. That's the big idea that I want you to hear today. That the church is a magnetic community of God-worshipping people devoted to the Bible and devoted to one another. So we're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, page 911 on the Black Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, please take that as our gift to you. And as you turn there, let me give us some background of where we've been in Acts so far. Uh, If you were here last week, you heard Ajay speak on Peter's sermon at Pentecost. It was a wonderful sermon. It was an excellent sermon, one that was very effective for the people that was hearing it. It was a sermon that spoke about Jesus coming into the world to save those whom he loved by giving up his own life, being killed, unfortunately, but fortunately, by the hands of those who he came to save. He came to save them, and they in turn killed him, but by that, they were saved. And that's what happened. And when people heard this, they were cut to the heart and responded from their sins. They repented of their sins. They decided to follow Jesus. And so what do they do? After hearing this sermon, 3,000 of them grabbed their bathing suits and jumped into the water and took baptism and were entered into the church, the community of God. Can you imagine what that scene looked like? 3,000 people coming together at once, being baptized, welcomed into the family of God. You can imagine there were tears of joy by the thousands there. 
and being recipients for the first time of the grace of God for their sins, salvation received from God himself. Uh, but as you think about it, they weren't just uh, received into God. They weren't just now uh, one of God's children. They were actually now also a part of the church, the community of God. It wasn't just, I got baptized, I'm in, and I'm, it's just me and Jesus. No, they were actually now part of this big group of people ever-growing, the church, over 3,000 people. They were in with them. They must have been hugging the apostles that baptized them. They must have been hugging and weeping with tears of joy with the others who now they were a part of. Voices raised, hands raised, giving thanks and praise to God, giving new hearts, new minds, new eyes to see the whole world differently. A new community was forming that day. Verse 42 says that this community of people, they were a devoted community of people. Uh, what do you imagine when you hear this word devotion? Right? What kind of a person do you imagine is a devoted type of person? I don't think you imagine them to be half-hearted or half-baked or unconvinced or just marginally excited, right? If you watch the show The Office, you don't think of a guy like Toby who's, who might come into this and say, you know, well, Christianity, I guess it's okay, all right, I'll, I'll take it. No, it wasn't a Toby-like excitement for this thing. It was, it was all in. This, this group of 3,000 people were not marginally excited, they weren't just half in. They, they were all into this thing. Devotion has energy and force and passion behind it. If you're devoted to something, all of your heart's in it. All of your mind's in it. You're all in. And so Luke wants to show us that these people were devoted. But devoted to what? And he tells us that they were devoted to four specific things coming out of Peter's sermon at Pentecost coming out of baptism, they became committed and devoted to four things. The teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, or praise and, and worship. Right? The teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Uh, it's, it's interesting to note, what's the first thing that uh, Luke wants us to see as a devoted part of this whole thing. What, what is one of the things that he mentions right from the outset? Teaching, that they were devoted to teaching, to doctrine. Right? You wonder if Luke is trying to make a point that everything that follows in this community, the whole thing, everything that we're going to build out now, you wonder if he's trying to make the point that they could not stand if the teaching and the doctrine we're out of whack. If there was nothing there to stand on. You wonder if he's trying to make a point that there is something real that we're after. Something that is true. That Luke wants you to know that, no, this whole thing is based on truth. On teaching. On doctrine. Luke believes that gospel community is fueled by gospel truth. That doctrine fuels community. You can't have just an organization or a church on its own doing its own thing. If, you, if you're the type of person that doesn't like a book or doesn't like to read, listen, Luke is trying to tell you, it doesn't matter who's in. It, there are 3,000 people who came to Jesus. You've got to imagine there's someone in that group that's never picked up a book, and yet he's saying that they were devoted to teaching. 
And so Luke wants us to know, listen, yes, doctrine, teaching, those kinds of things could be dusty and it can feel like something that's dry, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, it could be the fuel that drives the whole thing you're trying to get after. Luke wants you to know that people who are Christian, people who are a part of the community, the church, are Bible people. And that that's not optional. That, that's actually a very much a part, the foundational part, God's word, of what it means to be a part of Christian community. You could have a wonderful community of people gathering together for laughter and for games and fun stories. And you could have the best buffet ever with the best drinks on the table. But if that party, as I heard one preacher say this week, if that party is on the deck of the Titanic, the, sink is, the ship is sinking. And it doesn't matter how great the party is or how wonderful of a time you're having with community. All of the virtue of the community is washed away in the water and it's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. Gospel community is anchored in something eternal, in something true, namely Jesus Christ. It's a community that cannot sink. It's a community that cannot be shaken. It cannot be thwarted because it does rest and it is anchored in Jesus Christ himself. On the flip side, it's good for us to hear that there's also a danger in only being about doctrine and only being about teaching. Listen, we don't tell our friends or spouses or the ones that we love uh, to read from a Hallmark card, we love you, or I love you. You don't just say, read that thing and get on, everything should be fine and it'll work out for you. No, words demand action. In a similar way, doctrine demands doing. It's not just enough to be all about doctrine and all about teaching and then just to move on. And listen, you've got to hear, if you are a person that especially struggles with this, you've got to hear, is, is, is preaching hard for you to listen to? Is teaching, is reading the Bible, considering doctrine and teaching from God, is that hard for you? On the other hand, is doctrine a wonderful thing that you do, but doing is hard for you? The practical aspects of living out your Christian faith, that's hard for you. For both of us, Luke wants us to hear. It's not both it's not either or, it's both and. You've got to be people who love the Bible and who live out the Bible. It would have been a complete miss if these 3,000 people heard Peter speak on a Sunday morning and then just came back again a week later to him again without it affecting anything in their life. Just to come in, hear preaching, leave. Come in, hear preaching, leave. But nothing have changed in their lives. And can I tell you, even for us this day and for our lives here at Seven Mile Road, it would be a miss for us if we came in week after week on Sundays, filling our heads, puffing up our heads with knowledge and doctrine and teaching without it ever affecting how we think, how we believe, how we live, how we treat one another. That would be a complete miss, and we might as well not do any of it because the gospel doctrine fuels doing. It fuels community. This passage is specifically calling us to an intense devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the Bible largely, but it also calls us to intense devotion to one another that does not stop with doctrine. That's where we're going to spend some time next. All right, the second thing that this community was devoted to was the fellowship. And just a quick note, in parts of the scripture in our passage today, when it talks about um, fellowship or when it talks about relationships with others, a lot of times in the scriptures you'll see that a lot of times that's going to be directed towards the household of God or for the Christians specifically. There are times when 
relationships are considered for those outside of the Christian community. But for us today, we're focusing much on how this plays out in Christian community. The word fellowship, the root word means common, right? To have something similar or something alike with someone. Uh, But even as we look at this group of over 3,000 people, you've got to look back. Is there anything common about these 3,000 people? This was not a normal crowd in Jerusalem that Peter was preaching to. Because if you look back at Acts chapter 2, verses 5, it says that every nation under heaven was there. You had Jews and Parthians and Egyptians and Libyans and Arabs and Cretans and Romans. They didn't have similar culture or similar personalities or similar temperaments. If anything, uh, norms and expectations and customs couldn't be further apart from one another. These were not people who were common to one another. So how could they have fellowship? But here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It makes those who are uncommon, common. It makes those who are different from one another, similar. That is the power of the work of Jesus Christ. That that wall that existed before has come down. That those who should not speak to one another or laugh together at a table or share a meal or spend any time with one another are having fellowship together. Why? Because of Jesus Christ and his work. It makes you ask the question, doesn't it? If you are a Christian here this morning, do I have Christians in my life, Christians in my life who are nothing like me? Uh, People of different life stories. People of different tax brackets, uh, people of different education levels, people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds. Uh, Do I huddle around Christians like myself, or have I let the gospel actually saturate my life to the point where the family of God is really my family, no matter the earthly differences that come among us? It's a good question to ask here at Seven Mile Road as we grow by God's grace and as we even grow in diversity and we grow with different people. We are a mixed bag here. It's a good question for us to ask. Are we only huddling up with the Christians that look with us here, look like us here? Are we, are we really pressing into this family of God, this diverse family of God that God is giving to us? It should penetrate us because it speaks to the tangible parts of the gospel transformation in your life. Right? It's a good question because it'll speak to the actual gospel transformation that's starting to take place in your heart and in your life. Do you identify more with a political party or with a lifestyle or with a demographic than you do with your own brothers and sisters in Christ? It's something to consider in both your belief and in your relationships. The word used here, fellowship, right? Uh, That can sound, if you're not a part of the church or even if you are part of the church, it can sound very much like a churchy kind of word, like a a Christian type of word. Uh, It's a good word. It's a biblical word. But what happens over time in uh, Christian culture is that words tend to lose their meaning and it becomes something that it was never meant to be. But This word fellowship is a good word, but what it doesn't mean is just simply throwing a potluck every once in a while, though I love a good potluck. In fact, we had a potluck on Friday, and we played heads up with our GCM, with our smaller community. It was great, Uh, but it doesn't just come down to, hey, we're going to fellowship with one another. It's not just saying, hey, pal, you're cool. Let's fellowship sometimes. It's It's not just something that you just do. It's deeper than that. 
No, it's I love you, brother. I love you, sister. And I am going to be willing to serve you and inconvenience myself and be uncomfortable for your sake. It's deeper than just putting some food in a, in a pot and serving the food and saying, hey, we fellowship. That's, that's a check off. It's deeper than that. It requires more of us than just that. It's more than something you put on a calendar. It's, it's a deeper knowing, a devotion to another person. It's to share your life. It's to say that what's mine is actually not mine. It's to say that my life is actually not just my life. In fact, it's your life and who I am and the things that I am, the things that I own and the things that I do and accumulate. Listen, it's not just to hoard, but it's not mine at all. It's yours. Let's read in verse 45 as it sort of fleshes out what this means. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I'll read that again. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. As you read that passage, it may seem odd to you. Right? You might read that passage and you might think, man, is this... Is Luke trying to call us to communism where we're being forced to give up our stuff and we're, we're forced into some kind of system that we have no say in at all? No, it's not a forced handing over of your property. No one can come up to you after the sermon today and say, hey, we heard what we preached. You heard it. Hand over your Volvo. Give me the keys to your Volvo. That's mine. It's not what we're saying. That's not the application point of the sermon. It doesn't work like that. Verse 45 also is not saying that now you liquidate everything you have and you just sell it all for the sake of the church community. They weren't all of a sudden homeless or living in some kind of a commune because the next verse even says that they meet in each other's homes. How are you going to meet in someone's home if you just sold it? No, they they didn't just sell and liquidate everything. No, they it's something else that is being talked about here. Because even the the grammar of it, right? The tense used here is in the imperfect. That means it wasn't just a one-time thing, but it was actually an ongoing thing. It wasn't just one time, once said and done. No, this actually happened all the time. It was something that people gave of their resources constantly and continually. But as we read on, especially in the book of Acts, we've got to be careful. We said this at the beginning of the series. We've got to be careful when we read Acts to not make what we see described here law, right? We have to be careful to read sections and act as whether they are prescriptive, right? Do this or descriptive. No, this is what they've done. And in this passage in Acts, we see what's happening in Acts. And yet what we said at the beginning, we need to be able to think of this in a way that, yes, we're reading this, but what does this mean for us today? Right? Even as you go on in the book of Acts, you realize that they've come up with different procedures and policies and things that would help the community to be able to do this more efficiently and wisely. But I think a part of the work that we need to do is to consider what this verse, when you hear it, specifically you, when you hear this verse, what does it make your heart do? What does it make your mind do? What do I mean by that? When you hear words like, and they were selling their possessions and selling their belongings and distributing their proceeds to all. What goes through your heart and what goes through your mind? Right? Do you begin to coil up and say, I think I'm going to skip this passage. 
I'm a little uncomfortable with this? Is there a lack of ownership that you feel, a lack of control that you feel? If you're being honest, I mean, I felt it when I was reading. What is this going to mean for my life? Is there fear that life may have to look different for you and for your family? In a country like America where individualism and consumerism reigns supreme, it's, it's God, it's everything, this kind of a passage does not sit well with most of us. It's just not the ordinary, normal thing to, to say. In the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus actually talks about people serving this God of money called mammon. Right? This, this God of money that can fill your, your needs and satisfaction and all your earthly pleasures and desires. Yes, Jesus, okay, he can save us. He can make us happy. He can give us what we need in life. But just in case Jesus can't do that, I'm going to worship money and make sure anything that's not caught by Jesus, money can secure and satisfy and save me with. It'll provide security. It'll provide happiness. It'll provide self-sufficiency. And this passage in Acts comes flying in the face of our American individualism and our need to satisfy our lives with things. When I read this, it makes me wonder, what do I need to change? Is there anything, or is there a different way that I've got to think about this whole thing? Listen, this is how the community of Acts, this early church, responded. What does this mean for you when you read this passage? What will it require of you? For the community in Acts, they demonstrated their love for God, not just theoretically, but they responded and demonstrated it in tangible ways, not theory. They dug deep into what this world calls treasure, and they gave it to something that matters more, that's more eternal. They gave it to advance the gospel. They gave it to those within their community who needed stuff, needed help, who needed assistance, who needed support. And you think and you read and you wonder, man, that, that, that's intense. That's, that's a lot. How do they sell their possessions? How do they do all of these extraordinary things? What fuels them to do this? Uh, you've got to imagine, right, this, this 3,000 people or so that people from the outside look into this, people who are not a part of the Christian community, and they wonder, are they crazy? What are they doing? That's not a good investment. That's not a wise decision. Why would you sell everything? Why would you work all, all the work that you've did, done to make this up and all the resources that you've accumulated, why would you throw all that away for someone else who didn't do it, who needs it? Why would you ever sacrifice for someone else? Why would you downgrade your lifestyle for someone else? It must have made zero sense to the people outside of this community because it's not the way that we naturally think. And yet you've got to imagine, right, for this early church, for this community in the book of Acts, that in fact their doctrine was actually influencing their life. Right? That doctrine for them was actually making its way into their life into their pocketbook, into their homes, into how they served one another. It didn't just stay theoretical. It actually started to work itself out into their lives. The gospel, 
It wasn't just a spiritual thing, right, for your well-being. But in receiving this, it's been for the well-being of others. This is how the gospel of Christ affects you. This is, how, this is what the gospel should mean to you, how you think and then how you believe. You were dead in sin. All of us, dead in sin. Enemies to God. No way to save ourselves. Heading down this path, this slippery slope, heading down destruction and death and awfulness, we could do nothing to remove ourselves off of this path. But what happened was Jesus Christ, God himself, comes into this world, sent into the world. He gives, he gives, he gives his life for you. Sacrificially, generously, so that through his death and resurrection, you might also die to sin, but then rise to life. That's what has happened. Would you imagine that this kind of grace and generosity and love extended by God to you in Jesus Christ has an effect on the way that you live? Grace extended to you. Generosity extended to you. Dying extended to you of yourself. Wouldn't we, dear Christians, dear brothers and sisters, Christians of all people, be the most gracious, the most generous, the most giving, the most loving people on the planet because look what God has given to us, his son. Would we not allow that gospel to penetrate from our minds into our hearts, over to our hands, into our very lives? That we would say, you have a need? Okay, you're not alone, dear brother, dear sister. You're not, let's figure this out. We're family. God is with us. We're with each other. We'll trust God. We'll comfort one another in Jesus. We'll figure this out. You're not alone. We are for you. We are with one another. And when I fall, I know you're going to be there with me as well. That is gospel birth, gospel-fueled living in Jesus' community. Not a, this is mine, not yours kind of living. But all that I have is a gift from God. Everything. Nothing I have in life is my own. It's a gift of God. So I live in this life with an open heart, with open hands, and that's the heart of God. And you've got to let that penetrate in your heart and figure out, what does this mean for my life? What is that going to mean for us here at Seven Mile Road? The third thing they are devoted to is the breaking of bread. Now, there's some debate over whether this is actually referring to the Lord's Supper or an actual meal. I think they're actually both in, in the context of the passage. We won't spend time there, but particularly in verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. These people, Luke says, were with each other day by day. Every day in each other's homes and the temple. They were together all the time. I mean, I love you guys, but I don't want to see you every day. I mean, that is some kind of devotion to one another where they're seeing one another every day. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's some pretty intense fellowshipping right there. They didn't do this out of duty. They didn't do this out of command or tradition or for some spiritual standing. They believe it or not, actually loved one another. They liked being with one another, which again is even more amazing because these people otherwise, remember, they don't have anything in common. 
These are people from all over, from different nations. What would they have in common that they're now sitting at a table together laughing and hanging out and praying together and spending time with God? How has this happened? I was reading of a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones this week. You may have heard of him. Uh, He's a late preacher, but he was also a medical doctor, very influential. He was upper class, educated, and in high society. But he would say that he began to realize that he would rather talk about the Lord all day with the humblest old fisherman by the side of the road than to sit at a club with his social peers in the company of the highest circles who didn't really know him at all. He suddenly realized and said, I don't understand this. I feel a oneness with people who are not from my class at all. Do you sense the the familial, the closeness that he has with those brothers and sisters, perhaps that he's not even met? It's not even history that does it. It's bloodline with Jesus Christ. And that is deeper, deeper than anything you could imagine. It's not to say, I mean, it's the, it is not to say that we don't have real deep friendships with people who are not part of the Christian community, but there's something really unique about you and me. If you are a Christian, if, if I am a Christian, there's something that has linked us eternally in Jesus Christ. If you look at Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, this is a man of high intellect. He was well-learned, yet he writes to those who are much lower than, than him in churches like Corinth and says words like, listen, I long to be with you. I desire to be with you. I need to come to you quickly to share his life with them and his heart with them. The gospel draws us closer to one another because there's something deeper, there's something permanent, namely Jesus Christ, that links us together. So much to the point that the 17-year-old teenage boy who knows Jesus and the 70-year-old old man in a rocking chair who knows Jesus has more in common than the 17-year-old boy would with another 17-year-old boy who does not know Jesus. That's the intimacy in which we know one another and are linked with one another as brother and sister to one another. That's what true Christian community does. It removes age gaps and racial gaps and gender gaps, and social gaps. The wall that divided us is broken down by the cross of Christ. So as you're thinking about this kind of a community, right, people who like hanging out with one another and actually enjoy one another, love one another, you might be tempted to think that this kind of level of community is only for the types of people that like people, right? Who, who, the extroverts of us that this kind of a community is only meant for the personality types that like being with people. Someone like Binu, who can't get enough of being with people. He just loves it. He speaks and talks, whatever's on top of his mind. He loves it. That's who Binu is. I am the complete opposite. I'm not as bad as a J is, but I'm an introvert. (laughs) I'm definitely an introvert. And listen, I want you to hear that whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, the gospel is for introverts like me and perhaps like some of you. Can I tell you, we moved into a new neighborhood a few months ago, and the neighbors in this neighborhood, man, do they love to speak. They love to talk with you if you're pulling up on your driveway in a rush to get home. And so now I pull into my driveway, I put it in a park, and I do a quick look around to see if anybody's lurking around. And then immediately I'll plan my escape, I'll try to run, but before you know it, someone's looking over the bushes, and they say, hey, hey neighbor, how are you doing? 
And I just jet. I just, I can't do it. That's, that's my personality. But can I tell you, things are changing. Things are changing even, <laughs> yes. You might be wondering, how am I a pastor? I, can I tell you, even, even my love for you has not always been there. I'm kidding. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, can I even tell you, it, it's, it has been a joy for me to grow in loving you. We're not easy people. Everyone here is not a, a joy to get around. We, we have disagreements. We have all of those things. This whole Christian community, you got to remember, again, this is not utopia. This is not the Polaroid picture that you see. This is messy. And yet, what God does to people like me and to people like you is that he changes us. He gives us a love for one another that is not common. It's uncommon, actually. But in our uncommonness, by Christ, he makes us one people. And that's what happens. God is changing this person. He, I'm still the same, same old person. But listen, I am being sanctified. And now you find me inviting people over to dinner or maybe just opening the door. My wife invited them over. I'll open the door. But I'm telling you, things, things are happening. Things are happening in your life where conversations are happening around a dinner table where you are hearing people share their lives. And God is changing you and he's bringing restoration, brokenness. He's bringing healing. He is bringing people into your life in ways that are transformative and restorative and it's good. And as we do this, it strikes up conversations about life and about looking to God and, and thanking him and rejoicing in him. Because as we look at the last thing that these people in Acts were devoted to, Luke shows us that this community is devoted, lastly, for to prayer or to praise. When we are together, we are able to collectively say as a people, when we gather as community, look, God, he is there. He is with us. He is sovereign over all. He is healer. He is provider. He is beautiful. He's worthy of our worship. He is worthy of you giving your life to. We are able to do that together in community in a way that encourages us, edifies us. In a moment, we'll partake in the Lord's table and then we'll sing all of these things towards the end of saying, look at God. As a community, we get to say, look at Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain for our sins, uniting us together, changing everything about the course of our life. The community of God worships this God passionately. They are in awe of him together. As this passage closes, one of the things that can quickly be overlooked is the last few words in verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see what's happening with this community in Acts? Do you see what's actually beginning to happen in this Christian community? Uh, people who looked into this community from the outside were actually attracted to what was happening inside, right? It says that people were added daily to the church. In fact, we're going to see soon that thousands more in Acts followed Jesus and they joined this community very soon. Why? How has this happened? 
listen, there was no great evangelistic campaign or program. There was no lasers back then. There was no great spectacle that you can put out to attract all of these people to say, come, hear the gospel. We have all of this. No, I would venture to say that their devotion, this early church in Acts, that their devotion to God and to one another was unlike anything anyone ever knew before. How could people be so enamored with this God and be so for one another that it changes the way that they live, that they give, that they serve, that they open their homes? Their actions as a Christian community with one another, listen, gave validity to the world around them that this was much more than an earthly club or an organization or some social endeavor. I'm sure this kind of community, this eternal and heavenly community, stirred up in the people who were looking from the outside in, in their own hearts, there's got to be more to this life. And I think it's there, and I want to be a part of that. And people repented, 3,000, and they were baptized. And then people were added daily to the church. Seven Mile Road, wouldn't we pray for that to happen here? That people would look from the outside in, see the way that we love one another and love God, love his word, see the ways that we serve one another and open our homes to one another, uh, see that when you go to North Hills or when you go to Christ Home or when you go to Anne Frank and serve them and even the conversations that they hear among us, even when we disagree, reconciling those relationships, loving one another in ways that are tangible, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be to the glory and praise of God and for the good of people that people would look in from the outside and say, I want to be a part of that, and that people would be added daily to the church, unto their salvation, to the glory of God? Seven Mile Road, would you consider your devotion today? What are you devoted to? We have a lot to thank God for. We have a lot to praise God for because, listen, this in our sinful state is not natural. And yet God is doing work among you and through you here at Seven Mile Road and in our community. I am, in, I am encouraged. Sometimes we get to see some of the things that happen that maybe everyone may not. We see so much love. So much giving, so much generosity, so many homes being opened up, rides being given, meal trains being served, all of this happening because God has opened up your heart to the gospel so that it would not just stay with you, but that it would spill out into your life and into the lives of other people. But would you listen here? If, if God's word is penetrating your heart today and you are pricked by it, convicted by it, I want to ask you just a few questions as we close to consider. Where is your devotion? Have you lost passion for God and his people? Have you been unconvinced of this thing? Are you half-baked in this? Are you devoted to your own life, your own interests, your own goals? Or is it to God and to one another? Have you allowed the gospel to affect your relationship? Listen, have you allowed the gospel here at Seven Mile Road to affect your relationships with your brothers and sisters who are in Christ, though they may not have all things in common with you? Save Christ. Would you open your homes and life to one another? Are you generous in your time? Are you generous in your resources to partake in the mission of God 
for the sake of one another? Are you generous to care for the needs of your brothers and sisters? Ask yourself. There is no community like this community in, on earth. It's, it's eternal. It's beautiful. It's messy. It's meaningful. It is a community centered on Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if you are here and a part of Jesus and his church, Jesus welcomes you this day to know him. If you are not a part of this, listen, this beautiful, messy community you can be a part of today. Trust him. Know him. Seven Mile Road, would you hear again that the church is a magnetic community of God-worshipping people devoted to God and the Bible and to one another. Let's pray that God would help us to live that out in real life. Let's pray. God, we are dependent on you for all things, including the ability to respond to the gospel, not only with our mind and heart, but also with our living. We pray that the gospel would fuel gospel community here, gospel generosity and sacrifice and giving and serving, that we would not consider our lives just our lives, but that we would consider our lives as a gift from you for the sake of others to your glory. We will fight this. We will hear this sermon walk away without ever being changed by it. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fan the flame of conviction, of transformation, and that you would cause change, real change, to happen as a result of us hearing your word, God's word this morning. Help us, we pray. It is in Christ's name. Amen.